my friends. Welcome to another episode of On Death, a podcast to explore the oftentimes taboo topics of death, dying, and grief. We offer people a place to gather and to listen to others around their experience with death and dying. We aim to encourage and support a healthy relationship with death and to move from a fear-based culture of death, um, denial, to a community focused more on living life fully and more alive and more in love. And like always, I'm joined with my co-host, Tom, and Tom is going to introduce our guest today. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, today we have Dr. Aline Gergosian with us. And I think this is a really special experience today because she has been um, on both sides of the table, so to speak. Uh, not only is she um, in a fellowship right now, a clinical fellowship, but she also has had a heart transplant and two hip replacements um, as a result of the transplant, if, I, if I've got that correct. And uh, she's going to talk to us today about um, her experience, both in her, her personal experience going through procedures and, and what life is like for her, but also you know, how that's influenced her uh, her practice and, and how she serves others. So, Dr. Aline Gregosian, thanks so much. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I, I, we, I think we kind of have a tradition of heavy hitters right in the beginning, and and I just want to know what's your relationship with with death now, right now in this moment. So, you know, I have a very interesting relationship with with death. Uh, like you said, I see, I've seen both sides of it. Um, not only am I an emergency room doctor and an ICU doctor by training or, you know, I'm ER by training. I'm currently doing an ICU fellowship, which for those of you who don't understand who are like not from a medical background, that means that, you know, I'm trained in emergency medicine. I'm done with my training. I'm an ER doctor, but I'm continuing my training in ICU medicine. So I, I will also be an ICU, you know, licensed doctor in the next year. Mm -hmm. um, so I see death literally, I mean, I should say every day, but all the time, maybe once a week, every couple of weeks in front of me. Um, and that's been the case for the last several years since medical school. Mm. On top of that, um, I've been through, I've basically died myself. Um, two years ago when uh, I got really, really sick, uh, suddenly I got really, really sick. So I was 30 years old and I didn't, you know, I was feeling good. I had no worries in the world. I thought I was invincible. I was actually doing my training in emergency medicine. I was almost done with my training. I thought everything was going really, really well. And then um, one day I suddenly got sick, literally within a matter of, you know, one day I was there and I was working and I was feeling fine. And the next day my heart stopped. That's, that was my experience. Um, so, you know, so my heart stopped. You know, they had to give me medication that was intubated, taken to the ICU. And, and the next thing, you know, like I woke up from this experience. Um, we can talk about like the details in a little bit, but I woke up from this experience a couple of days later. So I, who, who knows what happened to me in those, you know, in those days when I was intubated and all these things were going on, but I was told that my heart didn't work anymore. And the only thing that was going to save me was a heart transplant. Um, so, you know, luckily, and I, not only did I need the heart transplant, but I needed it quickly. Like I needed to get on top of the list. Luckily I had no other medical problems. Luckily I was young and, you know, I had a blood type that was very common. And so a lot of things were, you know, I guess it, it's hard to say, it's really weird to say this, but like a lot of things were going in my favor you know, in the worst case scenario, it was like the best case scenario. Mm. So, um, so yeah. And then, you know, a few days later I got a heart transplant, my, and then a few days after that, I went home and it was my new life. So I got a second chance at life. So not only like, do I see death all the time, but I also basically experienced what it was like to have everything be taken away from you in one second and then kind of get it back. Mm. Um, and and I think like both of those experiences together, you know, I continue to see patients all the time and all that. 
uh, you know, that's very profound. And uh, it's not something that people see all the time or go through all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And with all of those experiences, I mean, what a rich uh, spectrum of experience in a short amount of time. It's really like two years, all of that. Yeah. And I'm wondering now, do you, from all of those experiences, do you see death more as a friend, more as an enemy, more as some complicated, it's if you, if you were Facebook friends, would it be like, it's complicated or, you know, you know, it's not something you should be afraid of. I'm actually very open about death and dying. And it's something that, you know, people ask me about all the time. And, you know, a lot of people ask me like, it's a very awkward question, but they'll be like, okay, so you have a heart transplant and you know, I'm, I'm 33 right now, but they'll be like, so like, how long does, mm. you know? And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe like 10 years, something like that, you know, who knows, maybe less than that, maybe a little more than that, maybe 30 years. But at the same time, we all have the same chance for tomorrow, technically. Um, and so, but at the same time, you know, I'm very realistic about certain things. Uh, and I don't know if it's, I don't know which experience made me like that. I, I, like, I don't know if it's that doctor side of me that sees it commonly, or if it's this whole experience that made me realize like anything could be taken away from you in one second and you need to be prepared for that. You know, so I live every day. This sounds so cheesy. I live every day. Like it's my last. Um, but but it's very complicated, but you do have to be prepared for death and you shouldn't be afraid of it necessarily. It's, it's, it's scary, but it's, it shouldn't be something that you should constantly be thinking about and worried about. Like, I'm not gonna be afraid of my transplant because it might lead to my death. If that makes sense. Mm. Totally. Mm -hmm. You know, for for our guests, they don't they don't always get to see this little clip that we do before we we start the the podcast. But we usually we ask our guests to close our eyes and just tune in um, to each other and our own bodies, and we'll do a little grounding or meditation or visualization. And on my side of it, it's never planned. It's always just very in the moment and a little bit you know, guided by spirit, we can say to whoever the guest is. And today, um, maybe, I don't know, seven minutes ago or something, we, we closed our eyes together. And um, I was really, you know, drawn to the, the pulsation uh, of, of my, my heartbeat. And that was what we shared together is just being in the spontaneous pulsation and beating of your heart. And I've done this, this meditation practice many times and a lot of times when I do it, I, I can guide people to that heartbeat, guide people to the, connect that heartbeat to then their mother's heartbeat, right? To their mother's heartbeat. And it was very interesting because in this moment, as I did this, again, unaware that that's what I was going to do, I, I, I had this profound um, connection. And then also that sort of route that I would normally go, I didn't go there. Wow. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, I mean, you, you're, yeah, you're living with someone else's heart and what a, what a gift from them. And so you, you've like, have this really, like, again, seeing both sides of the spectrum. Now you're like experiencing a totally uh, different heartbeat that was shared with a whole different ancestry. So you have like, in like this, you know, other realm is this a access to, to like, both sides and it makes your experience even more unique in a way. And I wonder uh, if you can talk a little bit about, about that experience, like with, with your, your, your donor's heart and maybe the, the sort of connection that you maybe have with, with them or their family. 
Sure. Um, I guess a few things. So a lot of people, the, a lot of questions, like one of the main questions I get is like, you know, is there this weird connection where like you, you have the same like qualities as your donor and that, no, I don't, you know, I don't think so. Um, but there are people who believe that. And, and personally that I don't think that has happened to me. Um, but there are cases of that when, uh, and then there's this other, you know, like philosophical part where as soon as you, as soon as you get this, you know, quote, like gift of life, um, in my opinion, like not only do you get this, like, not only do you get this like second chance at living, but you also see the world in a different way. And I think that is the gift, like seeing everything in this very different way that like nobody else can see, or at least not everybody can see unless they've been through some crazy like near death experience is the gift. Um, and I've struggled with that. Like, you know, I've, I've been a heart transplant patient for, you know, two years and, and it makes me wonder, like, I think that itself was, you know, what they mean when they say the gift of life, when you realize how precious, like really, I mean, I can tell you right now, you know, live to the fullest and you don't know how, how easy it is for everything to be taken away from you. You don't know how easy it is for this, that, but ultimately if you don't go through the experience, like you're not going to know. And most people don't really know until it's too late that that experience. Um, so I think that in itself is a gift. And then, um, so, th and then the third thing that I like to tell people, there's an actual physical connection with me and the donor's family. So my donor was, um, a girl named Lucy and she had been 23 at the time of her death. Um, it had been a sudden death in the, in her family and her, mom had reached out to me. There's a whole like complicated process that happened, but it's a very official process that has to go through the hospital systems. Uh, it has to happen like a few months after the transplant and all of that. But we ended up getting in touch and I was okay with the communication. She was okay with it. Um, right, right after my transplant, I knew that if I was actually going to live like past this transplant and if I was going to if something was going to come out of it, I was going to do something good with like, I was like, I got to do something with my life after this. So I knew that I was going to become, I was going to do something. I didn't know exactly what, but I decided I'll do like advocacy for transplantation. You know, I decided I would do that, especially because I already had this like physician voice. So not knowing that like on the other side, her family was also going to be doing the same thing. So a few months after, um, you know, her mom had written a letter to me and you know, a few months after that, it ended up like, long story short, we got in touch. And now we're very close. Like we text each other, you know, we, you know, we haven't met physically yet because of COVID, but we definitely will very soon. Um, but, you know, they live in New York and, and it's been amazing. And, and there were so many similarities. Like, for example, they had been doing just as much advocacy for, um, for organ donation on, on their side that I had been doing on my side. And we didn't know at all. Um, and, and, you know, and, and me and Lucy had, had, a, had a lot of things in common actually, which was very, you know, strange in a way. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things was that Lucy was actually studying to become a respiratory therapist and, you know, in an ICU and here I was working in an ICU, which was, you know, very weird. Uh, so there were all these like, you know, similarities between us and, um, and it was just wonderful. And now, I mean, I'm close with her and, and, you know, I talk to her mom all the time and the family and her friends, and it's just nice to have that connection. And I love it. Mm. Wow. It's so special. It's you, you have another family now. Exactly. And mm -hmm. it's nice because we're able to use our story just even, you know, I don't push people I like to tell our story and I'm not one of those who's like, you better sign up for organ donation, but just telling our story actually gets people to be like, I should become an organ donor. Like look at how much good came out of a tragedy. Like her, you know, it was devastating. It was a sudden loss, but Lucy went on to save four people's lives. It was a heart transplant, um, liver transplant and two kidney transplant patients. So like, you know, with that devastating sudden loss that her family had gone through four good things did come out of it. 
Um, and so just telling our story becomes this impactful thing that, you know, in a way is, is a way for us to get people to sign up to become organ donors. Mm. Yeah. A moment of, of thanks and gratitude for um, all organ donors and all families that uh, make those decisions, but for right now, for Lucy. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lucy. It's Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From my understanding, some of the teams that work in organ donation in hospitals, they they can really help families um, through not necessarily because they're not holding them through grief, but they mm-hmm. they make it very like they don't they don't dance around what's happening. They're very direct from my understanding, like, uh, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if, um, I've, I've heard this term used, I, and maybe again, correct me is, is the, the term brain dead is, is there a better term that we're using these days or is that just still the, that's still the term we use. Okay. <clears throat> so if, if they're, if they're brain dead, um, the, the organ donation team is very clear to the family that that they're they're dead. Correct. And I think they say it even say it a, a handful of times because it's hard to watch a loved one's body still breathing, right? And they Correct. say there's they're not in any they're they're not in any pain. They don't feel anything. It's because they're dead. Correct. Um, the whenever a patient is brain dead. Um, what's keeping them looking like, I guess the best way to put it, looking like they're alive is just the fact that they are still on a ventilator. So literally if we just turn that off, they won't have any movements. And that's one of the difficult parts about, I guess, explaining that to people who, you know, are not in the medical field or aren't used to seeing this is if somebody is moving, it looks like they're you know, alive, because a lot of people uh, associate movement with living, um, you know, so like chest rise is, is, is being alive, you know, so, but if somebody is, is brain dead, at least in the state of New York, that's considered being dead. Um, and when we say this to patients as well, like in, in medical school, when we're being trained on how to, it's really, when you're being trained on how to speak to people, um, you actually are told as soon as someone dies, the first in the first sentence of telling the family, you have to use the word death, because if you don't, if you use the word pass away, or if you use past or passed on, they're, they're not going to process it. So it might be a little harsh sounding, but that's the best way to do it. As soon as they hear the word death, anything after that doesn't matter, but at least they understand that their loved one died. Um, and that's actually one of the hardest parts, you know, for medical students and residents when they're going through training is, is actually learning how to talk to family members about death. Um, so yeah, and then, and then on top of that, the organ donation, you know, people, so the OPOs who come in to do all that is different from the hospital. So like, I'm not involved in any of the organ donation stuff. Uh, nurses aren't involved, it's always, in New York, for example, it's live on New York. In Pennsylvania, it's gift of life. Every state and region has its own thing, um, organization that does it. So it's like, there's no conflict of interest between them and the hospital. But yeah, they, they are the ones who speak to the family. But the person who um, calls the time of death and does the exam and everything is generally the physician, talks to the family first, and then everything else about grief and organ donation and all that comes from the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I I appreciate that that language, and I I know that is hard to say of death and dying. And one of our Tom and I's intentions of this is even having on death as the title of the podcast. So whenever we're talking about it, or someone else is talking about it, it it's it's letting people even say the word death is. Yeah it can be really scary, like, like, no, 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 no. But to, to say it is, you know, we, we can be empowered when we say it. Right. And I, 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 I appreciate that, 
saying these things instead of like passed on or yeah, yeah. Tran- you know, and, and look and transitioned is, is, is very, it has a whole other meaning, meaning in, in 2021, right? Correct. If you say, you know, my, my partner transitioned, right. You're- well, now we have, well, right. what, what context are we, are we talking about? Um, so, and, and, and I, I, I see that too, even with, you know, we were sharing a little bit about my, my dog Dracula is, you know, he's dying and he has heart disease and lung disease. And sometimes when I, when I talk to some people about it, they, they, they get like, there's a little bit of a hesitation. Those, those words make us uncomfortable. So the more we say them, the more we talk about it, the more we have these conversations with people, the more open we will be. Because like you said, we are all here to die eventually. Exactly. Do we, do we go with, with grace and you know, how, or, or, or do we just fight it to the bitter end and deny and deny and deny? So it's really, I definitely agree. And, and it's good to, it's good to get it out there. Um, I don't know, like even, even when we tell families sometimes, like they get mad at us. They're like, why would you say that? And I'm like, (laughs) that's what happened. Like I, it's hard to, you know, I mean, we, they complain, they complain that, you know, the doctor was too harsh, you know, they, it's, it's hard, but. But it's actually their own discomfort with the whole topic really right. is what's coming up. Right. And it doesn't matter how you presented it. It's the, like, if, if you didn't tell them that their loved one is coming back, then chances are they're not going to have a good reaction to it. Correct. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm so curious to, you know, having been to that other side, so to speak, and then come back. I mean, I have so many questions about that whole experience in itself, but one thing that stuck out to me as you were talking about your experience in the beginning was that you came back with, okay, I have to do something here. Mm-hmm. I have to do something that matters. And I'm, I'm so curious, you know, I, I know it's impossible to put into words exactly the importance you feel of having this second shot at life, but what's precious to you now? What are, what are the things that you hold on to the most or hold closest um, to your heart? So it, okay. So I guess it's actually really funny because, you know, all this was happening to me. I was in the hospital, like, you know, waiting for a heart transplant, very sick. Um, and then I just kept saying like, if I live, like, if I live, I want to do something. And, and like the nurses kept saying like, you know, you're already like an ER doctor. Like, <laughs> like you literally like save lives for a living. Like, you know, what else do you want to do? And I was like, well, I feel like, and again, I'm not someone who thinks I was actually talking about this yesterday. Cause someone was like, do you feel like this happened for a reason? Like, and I was like, I'm not one of those who necessarily thinks like that. Like I'm not the most, I'm more of like a practical person than like, you know, I don't, I didn't sit down and think about that. Or at least I haven't thought about that like that. I was more like, because this happened to me, let me use it continue on with what I was doing with all the goals that I already had, but let me incorporate this into what I was already doing. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean like, there's a lot of people that this would happen to, and they'd be like, you know what, like at this, I'm just going to go and travel. And I want to, and which is totally fine. Like I still, you know, I want, there's a lot of things that I want to do too, which I'm going to do, but I still feel like there were these goals that I had in my life that I want to finish. Um, and, and having this experience just happens to be in line with like being, a you know, being a physician and I can use my voice. So, so there was this part of me that was like, actually, it's kind of cool that this happened to me, which is like very weird to say, but, um, but that's kind of how I saw it. And I don't know, cause people also say like, you're very positive about it. And I said, I, I don't know if I was positive because, you know, I'm actually very like dark at times, but I was, I had a good attitude. Like, I think like, even though there was a hurdle here and then like, for example, then I had to get hip replacements, like all these like things kept happening to me. I still was like, no, like, it's fine. Like, let these keep happening to me and I'll use it in some way. Um, And so there was this sudden sense for me to just be like, whatever happens, happens. And I'll just throw it into this bag of 
life experiences. And I can, instead of being so upset about it, instead of dwelling on like, why me? Like, why did this have to happen? And, you know, that isn't going to change the fact that it happened. Mm. So I might as well just see it as this experience that I could use. Um, And so that's kind of how I saw it. Mm. But after I went through all that, um, you know, you do start to prioritize things. And I was kind of like this beforehand as well, because I would see death so often, especially in like young people, you know, I, I, I did my residency in Philadelphia where it was very common to see, you know, 18 year old, 19 year olds get shot, you know, they would die in front of my eyes. So there were so many times where you saw people go from, you know, living to dying right in front of you. And, and there's so many people who don't understand like the privilege of living, like, you know, and, and it was almost like, I already knew how precious life was, but having gone through it just kind of made it even more like concrete, I guess. Um, So my priorities necessarily haven't changed because I already had kind of that, that thing where like, I kind of do what I want to do in life. But um, I definitely think that, I think, I think in general, I try to use it as a way to tell people to prioritize things the way that they they want to do what you want to do with your life. I know that like, for example, like one of my friends ended up like, as soon as all of this happened to me, one of my friends like broke up with his girlfriend. and was like, I'm going to travel. Like I can't believe, like a lot of people use my experience to like do things. Like they were like, Oh my God. Like, like one of my other friends like ended up like, you know, taking a break from work and like just going on like a sabbatical, like it actually enlightened other people, which I thought was actually kind of cool. Except the, the girl who got broken up with, right? <laughs> He's like, what the fuck? What about me? I'm, I'm sure whoever it is, if it, <laughs> your life is is better now than it was if someone broke up with you if you're listening right now <laughs> i hope you're, you're doing well right <laughs> I name, but like there were like a few of my friends were just like if this could happen to you like oh my god and there were quite a few people whose lives were like enlightened because of my experience which i thought was kind of like an honor like i was like good like i'm glad you guys took it like that well Partly what I see is like you you said sometimes I've come off as like very positive and and you're you're I mean you're working to save lives and now you're also in other ways working to like save lives, maybe not you know in in, in a moment sort of thing, but in a in a big moment sort of thing. I'm I'm really curious because you also said sometimes you're a little bit dark. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you talk a, like a little bit about that I mean, if, you're, if you're willing? Oh, absolutely. I don't know. Like I have a very dark sense of humor. So like, and it comes with my field. Like I'm an emergency room doctor and ICU doctor. So we tend to have a kind of dark sense of humor. I think it's the way we cope with things. So sometimes I'll say some stuff, which, you know, for, for people in my field or people who know me really well are like, oh, that's just Aline being Aline. It's fine. Yeah. But then I realized, like, I definitely was very inappropriate. Um, so, you know, like, for example, when, you know, when <laughs> this is really, I feel so bad for saying this, but like, when I was in the hospital room, um, you had to, I had to get cats, which is like, you know, when they go look into your heart for specific, like, pathologies. Um, I remember uh, as soon as they were like, going to take me, my parents, you know, my, my poor parents, I should also tell you that what ended up happening to me was I found out that I had a familial dilated cardiomyopathy. So my dad actually has it as well. We just didn't know that it was genetic. So like my whole life, like I could have gotten screened for this. And I was like, dad, like, are you like fucking serious? Like <laughs> you never like, like I could have just gotten screened and like, wouldn't have died. Like that would have been much easier for me. So like I would I would make like jokes like that and he you know and the poor guy would like cry and, and everybody would be like you can't like joke like that with your dad. <laughs> I like that you're subtly advertising it with your dark side of the moon tank top though. <laughs> Just a clue into who I am. <laughs> You must it, be a Scorpio. I'm curious. I don't know if that's. Does that does that help at all? 
don't know. No, I have no idea. <laughs> when it comes to me and the stars, I just Oh, don't. yeah, I don't know anything. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, what, what I... I see this a lot with other, other friends. Well, you know what? I, I, I want to pause for a second. I'm going to come back to that question in the ER. What, what is your, it's like a side question. What, what's the one thing that is, is like ah, that, that the one thing that you is maybe like your limit. As I, I always hear that doctors and nurses, there's always like one thing that's just a little bit, either too intense or like that's kind of what gets them a little squeamish or something. Oh yeah. I can tell you, I can tell exactly what it is. I don't like like nail emergencies. Like when people like pull off their nails and you have to like when I have to pull off a nail because there's an infection underneath, I just don't like nails. (laughs) So that that's your, that's your end point, right? (laughs) I got a little lightheaded there when you said that. (laughs) It's really, really like, it's, I don't know how some people do it. I just, I'm like, I can't, I mean, I had to learn how to do it and like, I can do it if I really need to, but if there's someone else, I'm like, mm-hmm. handle that. I was so, a hardcore climber for years. I just want to share this quick story. I was a hardcore climber for okay. years and I used to get ingrown toenails a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah. And uh, I, I had to get one cut out one time at the hospital and it was like, they put a, is it called a digital block? Is that, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So they put a digital block in there. So my toe was completely, um, yeah. Gone, yeah, completely gone to my body. And then they put this kind of drape over it and it was just my toe sticking out. So I kind of, you know, didn't, because it, I had zero feeling in it and because it was covered by this thing, I sort of dissociated it, you know, it's like, it's, it's like not really my toe anymore. So I'm, I'm watching them cut it out. And my, my partner at the time was like, I don't know how you can watch that. That is awful. And I was like, no, look, it's so cool. And I was watching, you know, the blood like run out of it. And I was just like, wow, uh, <laughs> fascinated by it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hate toes. Actually, I have a, I have like an ingrown toenail. I have to keep going to the podiatrist. Point. I can't even. What's actually really interesting is like, I. So I'm a doctor. I do all this like crazy stuff, and like I could do central lines and like intubations, do this, do that. But like, I actually can't watch myself even like getting blood drawn, like wow. or like and, and, like I don't even I don't know why. Like I don't like looking at anybody doing anything to me including like ultrasounds um but yeah my toenail recently had the same thing and i was like i don't want to watch it (laughs) (laughs) ultrasounds kind of um kind of messed me up a little bit too i i just had one done on my heart and yeah and it's there and i'm like oh yeah i don't i don't want to watch i don't want to watch i don't the thing is i can usually like tell if there's something i'd rather just wait like i i don't want to look and like interpret it myself and then like think about it for the next day like i'd rather just wait till the cardiologist called me like that's yeah Mm -hmm. the my my grandmother is in her mid-90s and my mother's one of six and she always has to get her my grandmother not my mother she always has to get her like toenails done because Oh, she's in her mid nineties and my mother is always just like, it's disgusting. <laughs> and so maybe toenails is uh, one yeah. of the big squeamish points. <clears throat> um, the other, the other thing I, I'm really curious about having no, uh, having known people in the medical field and um, some of my really good friends are some, some of the people in my spiritual community are, and I, I, I do sometimes see that little bit of dark humor through it. And some of them are very, you know, they're, they're very logically brained, very practical yeah. and very much atheist. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how this experience either has affected you or it's changed your relationship if it has with either religion or spirituality? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm also very, like, logically, uh, I guess I'm very, like, logically minded, if that, I guess, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading this book once, and it's, it's by Lulu Miller. It's called Why Fish Don't Exist. I don't know if you guys, have, it's, it's like a newish book, but she's kind of trying to figure out like the point of life. And it's actually like a really good book. Um, 
And she talks about how her dad is atheist, kind of a nihilist actually. And her dad was the happiest person in the world because he thought nothing mattered. Like, like we're here and nothing matters. Like, and that's actually very liberating. Like, like, you know, we're here one day, you can do whatever you want and, and that's it. Like, and you can be happy. You can not be, and anything that you do right now is like what matters. And, and other than that, you know, one day you're going to die and that's it. But she said that like, she was raised like that and she found that she was depressed her whole life because she actually took it in a way where, and so she said, there's like two types of people in this world where like, you can say that too. And some people will see it as liberating and some people will see it as like very depressing. And, you know, I'm still struggling with like what I believe and like what, you know, what the point is and all that. But in general, I feel like I'm in the, the school of thought where, yeah, like we're here one day and it's not so much that nothing matters, but it's so much so it's so much more that, you know, we're here one day, you do what you can. And that's what, and like being in the present and doing what you can is what really matters. Like after that it's done. And, and, and I kind of like that. Like for me, that's actually very liberating to know that, but it was just really interesting that the way that she put that. Um, so I don't know. So that's, but I am still struggling with that. Like I, I, I'm very open about people. Like when people, people, a lot, everybody asks me that. And I'm always like, I don't know. Like, like, traditionally, like my whole life, I've been very logical and I think I still am, but, you know, having been through this experience now, I'm like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. There's sometimes where I'm like, I don't know. Like it was very like crazy experience, but overall I'm, I'm, I'm a very logical person. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so I still struggle. Yeah. And, and with that, I mean, when you did have that experience of, of dying, uh, what, was there a, was there an experience that felt out of body that happened to you at that time? So that's actually another question I get often. Um, I'll tell you exactly how I felt. Um, There was no like light. There was nothing like that. Uh, And I will tell you, I don't know how many, I think it was just a couple seconds where like, you know, they were trying to resuscitate me and then, you know, they had to give me some like, epinephrine or whatever. And then they, and everything was fine after. So it was just a couple seconds, but in those couple seconds and whatever, I just remember feeling like this overwhelming sense of everything is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I always would say that like everybody who asked me right afterwards and, you know, for months after I would always say that, like, I just felt like it's okay. Like whatever happens happens from here. It wasn't out of body. It was just like my mind kind of like shutting down and, and that was it. And then it was weird. Cause I watched this like Netflix documentary, uh, maybe like a few months ago about people who had these like close to death, like near death experiences. And a lot of them described the same thing, like this overwhelming feeling. And, and they use the same words, overwhelming feel, feeling of like, calm like everything's gonna be okay and it was so weird like I still get chills thinking about it like I I didn't it was no out-of-body experience it was nothing else now everybody who was there tells me what happened because it was a lot of my friends who were taking care of me because of the hospital that I was training at um wow yeah so you know everybody who was there they were like oh you were like thrashing around and suddenly like you know, suddenly you just like were quiet and like everybody was trying to get your, like, you know, we're trying to do a line on you. We're trying to do this. You know, you couldn't breathe, blah, blah, blah. Your heart rate went down to like 20, like 19. You, everything was like going crazy, but like, there was a lot of chaos basically, but I don't remember any of that. And it always feels to me like I, I almost feel like I was robbed of those seconds of my life or, you know, hours or whatever it was because I didn't get to experience that. I don't know what happened in in that time. But sometimes, you know, your body doesn't want you to remember certain things. Maybe, I don't know, but whatever it was, like, I don't remember anything. I just remember calmness, like Mm. everything was fine. And then the next thing, you know, I wake up, you know, like a day, two days after. 
and that was it. Hmm. Incredible. That reminds me so much. I'm sure I've shared this before, but one of my beloved teachers, Ram Das, always said that dying is safe and dying is very comfortable or death is comfortable, I should say. Sometimes the process of dying, we know it can be painful, but death itself is very comfortable. And similar to your story, and I've heard the same, same thing over and over again is that there was a sense of peace and comfort and everything is going to be okay. And as you were talking about this, you know, whether we look at it through the eyes of someone who is atheist or someone who is like a deeply religious person to someone who is maybe labels themselves as more of a spiritual person. I think either way we look at it, we're, we're wrapped up in the human experience. Correct. And it's hard, (laughs) you know, there's lots of suffering, you know, and it's not to say that the human experience is miserable and suffering, but to, to whatever degree that we're in this body, there's some form of suffering. So when we no longer have this body to suffer with, that the, and and let, let me let me also say that that I, I just really want people to know that I don't think that life is just constant suffering and gloom and all that, right? Like right. I, I I like all sorts of expressions of life. And I, I appreciate all of that. But I can imagine in that moment when we're not bound by this body, something about it becomes liberated, whether that be the soul, whether that be um, an essence, whether that just be the brain um, shutting down and giving up its, its control of, of its vehicle. Um, Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It's, it's a really uh, beautiful story. And um, I hope that that story provides people with a little bit of, of ease around maybe an anxiety towards, towards death, because I think most people have it to a degree. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I hope so too. Whenever people ask, I'm very open about it. Mm. And when I think of spirituality, because you know, I've I've actually practiced a lot of different types of religions in my life, and um, and in different philosophies and theologies, and in Buddhism, they have hopelessness as like one of their sort of core principles, and it uh, it feels dark. But when you get into that, what the concept of hopelessness is inside of Buddhism, it's actually very relieving. But, you know, I I was talking to a friend recently who was kind of, he was feeling pretty stuck. And, and I said, you know, you take care of yourself physically, you eat well, you learn, you grow in all of these beautiful ways. I said, but you know, one thing that I I don't really see you, you diving into is spirituality. And I said, I don't want you to get caught up in this idea that it has to be dogmatic or that it's got to be attached to a certain religion. But more so, you know, something that I feel about spirituality is that I think in the moment I described it as the catharsis of embodying the knowledge that everything will be okay. I like that. And it doesn't have to, you don't have to know what's going to happen afterwards, but to be, oh, be present enough. And it, it, sometimes it takes literally dying to be present enough to know that everything is going to be okay. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Tom, what you're saying to even like the, that thanks. And the, the, it ta- like you said, it takes dying to be present. And there's pr- so many practices within so many of these different traditions where um, you practice dying in, in so many ways. And then on top of that, I don't think you'll ever actually know until you're going through it. Right? <laughs> and it reminds me too, like you said, hopelessness and in the, the bhakti tradition, the bhakti yoga, we oftentimes use longing, right? Like I'm alone. Like, where are you? You're like calling out to, you know, sometimes it's capitalized as the one or the lover or the beloved. Like, where are you? I'm suffering. I'm not with you. You know, it's this, this separation. Um, 
I, I can go on and on talking, but uh, I don't want to, <laughs> I just, it's just it, it really fun to see all of these parallels and <clears throat> yeah. And, and, and your, your experience uh, in, in that moment um, is so, so similar to so many of these practices. Really cool. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. <sighs> I think I just need a breath after <laughs> that was, that was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Dr. Gagosian, do you have any, any work that you want to share as we, as we kind of tie this up? I want to make sure people can, can support you and hear more about your story and, uh, you know, whatever they can do to help, help you on your mission. Sure. Um, so I do have a blog and I do write about my experiences. Um, I can share like one part of my most recent post, I guess. Sure. Uh, actually it's just really, it's actually what we were just talking about. So it'll make sense. Um, so my blog is actually a change of heart and it's a change of H E dot A R T. That's actually the, the URL for it. Um, and I'll, I'll send, it's actually on my, uh, on my Instagram. So I'll send you all that. And the post is called my life. It was written this past week and a part of it, let me find the relevant one. So so this is basically about you know my life right now versus my life before transplant and I'm talking about how you know whenever you become a patient or whenever something significant happens to you you never actually properly mourn your past life which is in a way mourning you know I don't we always think that somebody has to die for us to mourn but I think sometimes we actually also need to mourn like past lives of ours whenever something significant happens. So, mm -hmm. so I wrote, uh, you know, my life right now is pretty normal or at least pretty close to what it was pre-transplant, but it will never be exactly what it was back then. And the finality of that never, it will never be exactly what it was back then will always be so difficult to deal with. At some point you do start to grieve that old life that you once had and you feel guilty about it. On one hand, you are grateful and appreciative for the second chance at life, the gift of life. There's so much depth and meaning that goes into everything. You don't let the little things get to you. You are more understanding of the bigger picture, the thing that people yearn for and never find, even after years of soul searching and dozens of trips around the world, only to feel vastly empty in the middle of the Sahara Desert while asking themselves why. You only love what you want to love passionately, and you now understand that time is indeed your most valuable asset. Others understand that too. You notice the way people are truly wanting to spend their time with you. It makes you feel good. People have always been good. It should have never been a question. And you try to explain it over and over again to your friends who ask you the same question over and over again. You don't understand like everything can be taken away from you. You can actually die. Your life can change into a before and after in one second, but Instead, you chuckle and you stop explaining. You finally realize what a gift it is to see the world in a way that most others don't and probably never will until it's too late. But you did not properly mourn the death of your old life, the mundane things that you took for granted, being able to walk around with normal painless joints, not having to look up which foods interact with your medications while you're at the restaurant, a month or two without blood draws at the clinic, waking up a little lightheaded and actually not wondering is today the last day of my life? Am I in heart failure again? Because surely the next time that I'm in heart failure will be my last. Isn't that something? Again, it's hard to explain unless you've been there. Mm. Wow. Mm. A gift of life. And you are also a gift too. Thank you for sharing your words. Thanks for sharing your time, um, your passion, your spark. Um, I know that you're very deeply devoted to talking about organ transplant and encouraging people to look into it and consider um, really, really beautiful time we got to spend together and, you know, keep, keep doing you and keep honoring uh, Lucy too. I, I, I also see that you honor her and her family. And I think that's such an incredible 
relationship. Thank you so much. Can I just say one last thing? I always try to end with this. Please, yeah, um, please. Just remember that uh, one organ donor could save up to eight lives and improve the lives of up to 75 other people. So sign up for organ donation by just going to registerme.org. <laughs> <laughs> no conflict of interest. I don't get paid to say that. I promise. <laughs> and, and even if you did, you know, <laughs> seventy-five people take your dollars. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Thank you. And and it was Lucy's birthday recently, right? It was actually her birthday's in April, but recently uh, it was supposed to be her wedding. The, uh, year, the year that she died, um, her wedding was actually coming up. So. She died in January. Her wedding was going to be on August, um, I believe it was 19, 17 or 19. But instead of her wedding, obviously, they did a, a day of life. And every year on that day, you know, they do certain things. And, and so, yeah, we celebrate her on that day because, mm. you know, it's a special day for her. Mm. Happy anniversary, Lucy. Yeah. Happy anniversary. We love you, Lucy. Oh, we love you. Oh, we love and you. we love you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Love you guys. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Thanks everyone for joining us. Um, please like, subscribe, do all the, the things that they ask you to do at the end of these shows. Um, and check out the notes for any links that we talked about. And we'll we'll see you all soon. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.